Ladies and gentlemen, good day from London and welcome to the FNA talk, a technology update with FNAers and friends. My name is Adam Chabai and it is my pleasure to guide you through this series. At FNA Talks, we are drawing on the expertise and experience of key fintech, regtech, and subtech authorities to discuss the trends and developments defining the technology and the innovation landscapes. In today's episode, we will focus on what is most certainly one of the most prominent fintech teams of 2020, and we are going to talk about digital currencies and their impact and implications. I'm very pleased to say that we are joined by a seasoned technology expert who is extremely well equipped to discuss digital currencies from the perspective of both the regulators and the regulated. Daniel Heller, head of regulatory affairs at Finality International and former head of financial stability at the Swiss National Bank. Daniel, welcome and thank you for joining us at the FNA talk. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be here I, and I look forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Daniel. And likewise, an area that I think has a particularly interesting link uh, with the landscape of digital currencies is uh, that of cash because it both drives and is affected by digital currency developments. Uh, Daniel, what do you believe will digital currencies means for the use of cash and uh, uh, will the cash survive? Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what is really interesting is if you look at the various countries, you know, there are countries where the use of cash is declining, like in Sweden, right? They, they, there's literally less cash in circulation. I just, uh, for a project, I, I looked up like uh, cash circulation in the in, in US dollars and I mean you are struck that since the financial crisis there's basically a straight line of how circulation of cash of banknotes has increased right so I, I think we, it's too early to say that cash will disappear but what I think is what we can say however is that probably we will rely less on banknotes in the future. I mean, like I spend a lot of time in London, right? And I think it has been a year since I, I have had a, a banknote in my wallet, a, a sterling banknote, even, th even though they are nice, but I, I just, <laughs> I don't have demand for banknotes because I have other payment instruments like credit cards. So, I wouldn't say, since, since you said, does digital currency really impact the use of banknotes? I think it's more technological innovation around how we pay, right? It doesn't have to be a stable coin or some new player in the field. I think it's more of when it becomes just very easy to pay with, electronically that's when cash will go down uh, based on what you have just said daniel uh, do you believe that digital currencies can help to solve any of the 
traditional cash-related risks? Let's put it this way. I mean, cash is a very expensive form of, of money, right? It has production is expensive. It, you have to move it with trucks, with airplanes. Uh, you have to always make sure that it's, uh, it's a, a real banknote. So it's not really efficient, but it has a few benefits, you know, that, that digital currencies will never have. Like one, for instance, you can always pay with cash, right? If you, you can always transfer a banknote from one person to the other person. You don't need the internet. You don't need uh, computer systems that work. So there are a few things that banknotes provide that digital currencies simply cannot. And so, I mean, ultimately it will be also a policy decision of the central bank, you know, how, what's the value of having this really uh, old fashioned payment system in times of outages? What's the value of, uh, and you mentioned, for instance, before, financial inclusion, right? Everyone can have a banknote. If everything is digital, you need to have an electronic account with a bank or someone else. So it's not so obvious to me, but, but the big advantage is of course, uh, is, is efficiency, right? It's, it's cheaper to make digital transfers. Uh, it's also easier to enforce AML, uh, requirements so but it's not uh, black and white right it's not that that cash has no advantages thank you daniel and i completely agree uh, this example that you have just mentioned i think uh, very nicely illustrates that uh, digital currencies represent a super exciting landscape with uh, plenty of uh, very interesting developments to follow uh, for the coming months and years. On that note, uh, let us now spend a bit of time focusing on some of the, I think, uh, unavoidable policy implications of uh, digital currencies that will need to be addressed uh, in the foreseeable future. First, uh, Daniel, what impact will digital currencies have on financial stability and will they ever represent a source of uh, systemic risk? I think that financial stability risks really have to be taken very seriously. Like think of a, let's take a stable coin, right? A, a very big stable coin where uh, maybe active in several countries. And if this, the scheme is not safe, right? You can easily have a run out of the, out of the stable coin, obviously, if it's not well designed, this run cannot be accommodated. So people will lose money, it will go into liquidation. That's not good, right? No one wants that. So, but I have to go back to what I said a little earlier, right? If these schemes are big, they also need to be regulated adequately, meaning that there need to be clear requirements on 
how these schemes manage the, the assets. Uh, there needs to be it needs to be clear that they cannot be uh, there cannot be fraud and things like this. But but again, it's not really new, right? You don't want a, a bank that is not run properly. Why don't you want this? Because it's client deposits. You don't want the government to have to activate the use funds from the deposit guarantee. I think the objectives of sound regulation are, are fully aligned with uh, with having safe uh, forms of, of digital currency. One has to th think through what can go wrong, and then one has to use the uh, adequate uh, regulatory requirements. But I have not seen, uh, sorry, one last point. Sure. I think every risk that is mentioned related, say, to stablecoin and digital currencies is solvable, right? It's not, uh, and at the minimum, it's not bigger than in the banking sector. What I really wanted to ask, Daniel, is uh, what central bankers and uh, financial regulators and supervisors need to do uh, to tackle these risks that you have just talked about? And do they in any way need to adjust their regulatory and supervisory procedures on both local and cross-jurisdictional level? I would say, you know, the development has been pretty fast, right? I, I would say like that in the area of new forms of money, not much has been going on for decades. And then all of a sudden you have a lot of innovation, blockchain, new, new players and so on. So this was, has not been easy for, for regulators, right? Because <laughs> no one could prepare for that. But what I do see is really that they have the right focus. They, they invest in talent that understands these schemes. And they have a big benefit of knowing how you regulate financial services and financial products. So, so I think they, uh, everyone is on a learning curve here, but uh, I think they, they will be able to handle it well. Uh, many thanks, Daniel. Uh, the other or the second area of, of wider policy implications associated with digital money that uh, I think we need to touch upon uh, is the impact that uh, digital money or digital currencies may have on monetary policy. Uh, Daniel, what do you think will digital currencies mean for uh, formulation and implementation of monetary policy? Okay, so two things here. The first one is, say, if if there is central bank digital currency for retail customers, right? What, what we will have, what will happen is that some deposits that are now with banks will be held at the central bank, right? So the banks will have less, less, uh, less funds to, to provide loans. That's not necessarily a problem for monetary policy, but it may change the, the, the structure of, of the industry. But the central bank can also react to that. Right? It can provide more loans to the banking sector. 
in turn, so they can see length. So that's that's solvable, I think, from a monetary policy perspective. Then the other one is if there's really now a shift from say bank deposits to private sector non-bank deposits in the form of stable coins. What we see there is of course that these new issuers, they also have assets, right? And they have to place these assets somewhere so they can go back. They will probably wind up back in the financial system. So I don't think that uh, the impact will be so big. So in, in short, I think all the, the monetary policy implications are really are solvable. Now, what, what the central bank just needs to be able to do is uh, it can put a floor on overnight rates in the market through the interest it pays on deposits. Well-tested uh, approach of central banks. So if you pay, central bank pays 2% on deposits to the banking sector, then it's unlikely that the interbank rate will go below 2%. Sometimes it will go below a little bit, but not, not always. And kind of the ceiling of the interest rates uh, can be set by the interest rate the central bank charges on emergency lending, right? If you say you can always get money at 4% from the central bank and the deposit rate is 2%, then we see we will see interbank rates between 2 and 4%. And, and this will be the case even, even if there, there are very big stablecoin providers out there. Uh, thank you very much for these extremely uh, interesting uh, insights, Daniel. Uh, at the very end, uh, let us conclude with uh, perhaps a slightly uh, provocative question. Uh, do you think that the Libras or uh, digital currencies issued by the big techs like Facebook can challenge a central bank's monopoly over monetary policy? You know, the funny thing is, you know, that there has been a lot, there were a lot of articles on whether Bitcoin can replace uh, uh, sovereign currencies, uh, whether Libra could replace sovereign currencies. And even if you, if you look at the latest version of the, the Libra white paper, right, they abandoned pretty much this idea. So now Libra is pegged to single currencies uh, for, for most of the activity. And this kind of shows how powerful sovereign currencies are, right? An anchor to the dollar, to the euro, to the British pound is just the best way to provide new forms of money. Why is this so? Because you can offer convertibility into something that is safe. Right, into something that is a claim on the central bank. And, and I think this will not go away. Right? This cannot be improved by the private sector. So, no. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll have sovereign currencies for as long as we have sovereign states. This would be my, my concluding statement.
Okay, uh, thank you very much uh, for your uh, response and uh, extremely uh, interesting points, Daniel. Uh, even though we could carry on and continue this conversation, uh, this is unfortunately all we have time for today. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, you have provided us with some great insights into an uh, extremely important uh, fintech team and equipped our listeners uh, with a series of, uh, I'm sure, very useful uh, practical takeaways. So many thanks for joining us uh, at the FNA talk. Thank you, Adam. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, many thanks to you uh, for your attention. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for Daniel or I, please let us know on social media or write to us on adam at fna.fi. I very much look forward to reconnecting soon uh, for another FNA talk. And in the meantime, have a good day, stay safe, and goodbye. <laughs>